How did one man, born into a poor farming family in 1920s Korea, create a multi-billion dollar business empire? Here's a clue. It involves a religious movement and the fishing industry. Today, we're going to dig into the Unification Church, whose founder was the controversial evangelist, Sun Myung Moon. We'll uncover how the church and its business permeate into our everyday lives. And after this episode, you'll never look at sushi the same way again. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Suruti Bala. We're going to cover some of your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies, and hopefully introduce you to some new ones. We're going to look at how some of the biggest cults in history have made their fortunes, and how they've also managed to infiltrate our daily lives. You see, to run a financially successful enterprise... You have to operate in plain sight. That way, people like us have no idea we're even supporting one. In this episode, we're going to look at the controversial Unification Church, founded by the Reverend Sun Myung Moon, whose followers you've probably heard of and are commonly called the Moonies. The church and its mass weddings have been reported on a lot, but not so much is talked about when it comes to how Moon created his multi-billion dollar global empire. One that many of us are unknowingly supporting. And you are about to find out exactly what that empire is. So let's get started. So let's get into a bit of background on Sun Myung Moon and the Unification Church which was founded in 1954 in South Korea. Moon was born in 1920 in what's now North Korea. At the time, Korea was of course one country and under Japanese rule. Moon grew up poor in a Christian home. His family were farmers and members of the Presbyterian Church. It was Easter Sunday when young Moon had an awakening. And like many cult leaders before him, And after him, Moon claimed that Jesus, of all people, appeared before him and told him that he was God's chosen Messiah and that it was up to Moon to complete God's work. Convenient, isn't it? Very good of Big J to drop in. Uh, He's a busy guy. Um, But Moon is just that important. (laughs) Of course, and um, it gets better because it wasn't just that he was there to do arbitrary work for God. No, no, no. The specific message was that because Jesus didn't marry, I guess depending on who you ask, he left God's plan on earth incomplete. Guess what? <laughs> guess what um, Moon's going to have to do? <laughs> um, I think, I think, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but I think it might involve having sex with a lot of people a lot of the time. I mean, you are giving away quite a lot of the spoilers for this episode. Sorry, I shot myself in the foot already. I'll just go home. (laughs) So this uh, belief that marriage was his absolute, uh, the baton to take on from Jesus Christ himself, the big Jesus H tap dancing Christ, Moon believed that Adam and Eve had sinned by having premarital sex. 
which he considered a misuse of love that distracted Adam and Eve from recognizing God's true intentions for this life. So the Unification Church identifies Moon as, surprise, surprise, the Messiah. There are quite a lot of those kicking around these days. And Moon's followers believe that because he married and raised a model Christian family, he, not Jesus, is furthering God's plan, even though Jesus very definitely was married to Mary Magdalene. (laughs) I've read the Da Vinci Code, I know. So Moon called on his congregants to also marry and create model families just like he had and spread the message across the globe. Mm -hmm. And this eventually led to the highly publicized mass weddings that the church is known for. We've all seen the photographs, we've all seen the documentaries, we've all seen the video footage of the Moonies, of the big weddings, right? We're all in this together. The football stadium-sized weddings, yeah. And by the early 1970s, Moon's church had a presence in all 50 US states, as well as other Western countries. Do you know what the fastest growing religion in South Korea is? In South Korea is today. Mm. Is it Mormonism? Close, it's Catholicism. Oh, an oldie but a goodie. They're like, we'll stick to the classics. (laughs) So before long, the Unification Church was viewed by many as a cult. And American parents who lost their young adult children to the church, accused it of brainwashing and mind control. Do we have a cult bell? A cult klaxon? A cult wind chime? There's something subtle. A cult wind chime probably makes the most sense. Typical cult behavior. That's exactly what's going on here. And already very Jim Jonesy vibes, the whole the Messiah situation. And also Jim Jones was the first family in the state of Indiana to adopt a black child. So he had a rainbow family, which he encouraged across his followers. Um, So very similar. But most cult leaders, surprise, surprise, follow a pretty similar pattern. Yes, it's almost like they've been reading some sort of textbook on how to be a cult leader. It is shocking how they all follow the exact same steps. And it is, um, it it feels so like... um, It feels so intentional, and of course it is, but it's surprising how naturally it comes to these people to know exactly, instinctively what to do. It's all in the textbook that we were not allowed to write because the publishers were too scared. Uh, But now there's a whole Netflix fucking series about how to become a tyrant, and Peter Dinklage is narrating it, and that was fine, but never mind, moving on. So this particular church has also been embedded in many controversies over the years. A congressional hearing in the 70s found that Moon worked with South Korean intelligence officials to accumulate political influence in America. He was also accused of moving money illegally across international borders. And in the mid-80s, he was convicted of tax fraud and served 13 months in US prison. What a boring thing to have been convicted of as a cult leader. It's how they get you, though. They get you on the on the tax fraud and the moving of the money. It's not all the, like, moving out to the middle of nowhere and being sexual deviants. It's the tax fraud. <laughs> no, that's fine. Money's much more important than what you do to women's bodies. Keep up, Saru. So Moon died in 2012 at the age of 92. But the church still has a presence in more than 100 countries. I don't think I've ever come across a Moonie in the wild. No, can you imagine? <laughs> no. But actually, the first time I ever saw a Mormon was in Korea. 
Because, you know, they go on missions and we don't have them here, really. Like there's one, there's a church of the Latter-day Saints in Kensington that I've only ever walked past. But I've never seen like the black trousers, white shirt Mormons walking around in this country. Um, sorry for our international listeners. We, we are British. We're not doing an impression. Um, so we don't have Mormons here, really. Um, but in Korea, they are absolutely everywhere. Do you remember when you matched with that guy on Hinge who said that he didn't believe in nuns because you never see one in the wild? Yes, I do remember. I remember all of the horrible things I that have ever happened to me on Hinge with <laughs> vivid <laughs> recall. It's burned into your brain for the rest of your life. Well, I didn't believe in Mormons because I'd never seen one in the wild. Um, so can confirm uh, to all of you people who were worried about it, Mormons do exist. Big tangent and the basic bio of the church as an organization for you. But the trajectory of the church's founder, Sun Myung Moon, is really fascinating. So let's get into it. Moon married his first wife, Sun Kil Choi, in 1943, and then they had a child. But not long after, he did the very Christian thing, and he abandoned Choi and his child. What a good Christian. This isn't very um, messiah-y of him. Um, well, have you read The Da Vinci Code? Because I have. <laughs> and I've watched the film multiple times. As you well know, thank you for uh, bringing it up. What, your, your Dan Brown obsession? Sorry, I really dubbed you in there, sorry. <laughs> just to, it's just a way to ease the hangover. Just lie in bed and watch a bit of Dan Brown. No harm, no foul. That's your hangover watching? You psychopath. <laughs> You'll be surprised by the number of times I've been called a psychopath this week. What's happening? <laughs> And I'm assuming that it's not just me. No. There are other people in the consensus. Well, in the equation now, it's all very troubling. <laughs> so in the 1950s, Sun Myung Moon went through a divorce or dissolved the marriage. All right, Henry VIII. Fucking hell. How, how does one dissolve a marriage? Um, I don't know. But uh, I say divorce or dissolve the marriage because very, very little is known about this particular period of his life. Korea was not keeping excellent records at that particular time. <laughs> they had other things going on. Quite opaque in their um, <laughs> behaviour. So we don't know. But dissolve it slash divorce it, he did. And also what we do know for sure is that in 1960, Moon married his second wife, 17-year-old Hak Ja Han. Mm, that's always an uh-oh, isn't it? <laughs> but it seemed to last for a reasonable amount of time because uh, Sun Myung Moon and Hak Ja Han actually had 14 children together and were known to their followers as the true parents of all humanity. Because why be more chill now? Why relax now? Why not be more intense? The true parents of all humanity sounds like a rainbow rhythms like bongo circle that goes to like WOMAD. And then someone touches you. And then, and then you get touched inappropriately and then you have to get your mum to come pick you up. Yeah. And it is important to note right here that Moon, in his religious teachings, taught that marriage and the creation of a family was a sacred bond, conveniently forgetting to mention his failed marriage to Choi, the secret marriage that nobody needs to know about. It's not like he broke his own rule right out the gate. A man in power being a hypocrite. God, well, I never. (laughs) (laughs) 
Up next, we'll look at how Moon's Unification Church and his penis pension totally dominated the wedding industry, making the church hundreds of millions of dollars. So in the early days of the Unification Church, Moon also taught that original sin didn't come from eating the apple, as the Bible taught. Instead, he went for a much saucier retelling of this story, and he claimed that Eve had had sex with Lucifer before she had sex with Adam, and that original sin was essentially a sexually transmitted infection that was destined to pass down through every generation of humans. Well, someone hasn't done their Satanism homework because we all know that there was Lilith before there was Eve. I mean, there's so much to unpack here. There's so much to unpack here. (laughs) Firstly, we've gone from the original sin being from a piece of fruit to being literally banging the devil and getting an STI that she then gave to Adam very inconsiderately. I remember very clearly at Catholic school being taught that the pain of childbirth was woman's punishment for Eve eating the apple because women are to blame for literally everything. I didn't get taught that at school because I didn't go to a gaudy school, but I learned that when I went to watch The Crucible. Is that what that play is called? Yes, The Cru- yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and I was like, oh my God, is that, is that right? <laughs> Is that what it is? Yeah. And I completely unquestioningly believed that until I was 18. And now I'm like, oh, why am I so sad all the time? Yeah. But th- this is why, Anna, because uh, Eve banged the devil. So Moon, uh, the new messiah, um, had a fix for this sexually transmitted generational trauma. As a way of cleansing his followers of original sin, he would have sex with them because that just solves everything. Just solves everything by sleeping with all of your female congregants. I like the idea that he's running like a sexual health clinic, but you just have to go there and have sex with him. Through his penis. Yes. You have to make a booking. The wait's about 25 minutes, assuming you're fifth in the queue. And while he was taking care of this original sin problem, he was supposedly giving his female congregants holy blood. And he called it... The restoration ritual. Mm, Holy blood is what sounds like an STI. He needs to think of a better name that isn't like, I've got holy blood now from that sexual health clinic. It's terrible. Throughout the 1950s, while he was having sex with some of his female congregants, he urged followers to steal money from their loved ones to donate to him. This is a classic cult development of this economic abuse. Um, But it's also extremely rooted in Christianity. Paying a tithe to your church is very normal. And this is what you see a lot in cult behavior is um, starting out with a very normal tenet of what is an accepted religion and just pushing it a little bit further and further and further until it's too late. And former members of the church have alleged that Moon kept the so-called restoration rituals well into the 1960s. And it was around this time that Moon shifted from sexual exploitation to financial exploitation. I guess like eventually you get old, the spark's gone, you're not feeling that anymore. (laughs) You can't just keep doing these restoration rituals and giving all these women holy blood. I'm just going to go for the money now. Makes sense. you got to evolve. You know what? Am I putting enough of my pension? That's the question. And he realized he's not because he was all putting it all in his (laughs) penis pension. I don't know. 
Now he needs money. I mean, yeah, he's uh, particularly focused on his penis pension. Sun Myung Moon's early money may have been swindled from his follow place, but his fortune actually came from a few places. Yeah, you can't make your fortune so- just having like a band of people that steal from their families. You need to diversify. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely have to diversify out of the family tree because as you say, the more you're nicking from your family, the more people are going to talk. Some of the biggest sources of revenue for Moon came from his publishing businesses, which includes the conservative newspaper, The Washington Times, which I promise you is not made up. It definitely does exist, even though it sounds like it sounds like something out of like Spider-Man. Do you know what I mean? The Washington Times. Yeah, not quite the Washington Post, not quite the New York Times, just a happy medium. (laughs) I thought it'd be more something like the Washington Bugle (laughs) that would sound fake. So as well as the entirely not made up Washington Times, Moon also had real estate in various countries. The New Yorker Hotel in New York City, seafood companies across the United States, and of course, the incredibly famous mass weddings. It sounds like he's playing the most like um, elaborate game of Monopoly ever. I own the Washington Times, a bunch of hotels in New York, and seafood business and wedding industry. Beat that. I personally think, and I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I think the most boring games of all time are Monopoly and Risk. And it's like he's playing both at the same time in some sort of boredom apocalypse. And kind of Battleship, as we'll come on to later. Oh, (laughs) spoilers from you. So Moon conducted these mass weddings to marry as many people as possible. And when we say mass weddings, we mean massive. Thousands of couples at a time getting married in one place all together. Again, we've seen the pictures, right? We've all seen them. If you haven't seen the pictures, I'm very interested to know where you live. Is it in a cave, under a rock, the bottom of the sea, perhaps? One of these weddings was in 1992, and it was attended by about 30,000 couples. That's 60,000 people. How? Like, what's the capacity of, like, Wembley? 100,000? That's mad. The British newspaper, The Independent, reported that attendees to this 30,000-couple wedding paid up to 2,000 years to be a part of the ceremony. That is outrageous. The only way in which I would take part in some sort of mass wedding situation was if there was going to be some sort of economies of scale where I was going to have to pay like 100 quid to get married. $2,000? How is that working out? I do think, though, if you're talking about the economy of scale, two grand for a wedding is not that much money. If you think about it. You're sharing it with 60,000 people, though. It's not happening. Yeah, no, I I don't think... Uh, don't worry, you'll never have to convince me out of getting married in a football stadium with <laughs> 29,990... No, 60... No, 59. 59,999... Numbers with Hannah Maguire back next week excellent (laughs) um and that's a relief even if it was um for the low low bargain price of two thousand dollars i'm glad i won't have to convince you out of that great i mean lots of other things you will have to convince me out of as you well know but that is not one of them so listeners romans countrymen that adds up to a whole lot of money two thousand is it two per couple or per person do we think i mean who knows at this point it's irrelevant it's so much money (laughs) Yes, it's very much a lot of money. 
and the mass weddings still take place this very day. In fact, just last year, in the midst of the global pandemic, close to 30,000 people attended a mass ceremony in South Korea. Excellent. That seems safe. I mean, that there has to be a Mooney variant now. There, there's no way that none of, not a single one of those 30,000 people had COVID. There just isn't. No. <laughs> Coming up, we'll reveal the biggest source of revenue for the group. And it's not the mass weddings. It's actually a seafood business that might have provided you with a meal or two in the past. All right, and now we'll get into just how you might have interacted with the Unification Church's main business. Sun Myung-moon had a clear goal in the late 70s. He wanted to run the American fishing industry. I mean, a small ambition. Small ambition for a messiah. No problem. It's such a weird and specific dream to have. To just be like, no, this is is what I want more than anything, is to run the American fishing industry. The king of the fishermen. I love this so much. Okay, in 1980, in a speech called The Way of the Tuna... He said, and this is a direct quote, if you can believe it, I have the entire system worked out, starting with boat building. After we build the boats, we catch the fish and process them for the market and then have a distribution network. This is not just on the drawing board. I have already done it. Excellent. It's not visionary, is it? I mean, it's very competent. It's how I would imagine <laughs> that you would run a fishing business. I mean, sure, build the thing you need to get the fish, get the fish, sell the fish. That that seems like you could apply that to almost any product. Yes, I mean, I really do wonder who he was giving this speech to, um, that this basic plan was what needed to be said. And it clearly worked because people um, followed him after this. So there you go. I mean, maybe there's something to be said for just explaining things very clearly, but um, it sounds quite difficult to be inspired by such a... It's not like in um, Jerry Maguire, which like I don't even know why I brought it up because I know you haven't seen it. But <laughs> when he goes in with his mission statement, he's like, this is how we're going to do it. And everyone's like, okay. <laughs> like, that's how it like, seems to me. If you're going to write a business book, you don't want to overcomplicate things. You want to give people clear, achievable goals. And so after coming up with the idea for the company True World, Moon provided funding to the business and also served as a director. So there are a couple of different companies that fall within the True World Group umbrella. True World Foods is a wholesale seafood distribution company. And True World Marine is the company that makes and sells fishing boats. Good. So you're distributing it and you're also making the boats. Good business sense so far, it seems like. And True World Group also operates fishing vessels, owns fish processing plants, and manages dozens of distribution facilities across the US. And as you will see, the sushi connection becomes clear. But as he's getting on in his age, he has not forgotten about his original mission, which is mass weddings. And he's going to combine those with the way of the tuna. Moon hoped that his mass weddings would help the True World business. He wanted his Japanese followers to marry Americans so that they could become U.S. citizens. 
And you may be sitting there, go on. If his followers were American citizens, that meant they could avoid fishing restrictions uh, that would usually apply to foreign companies. I see. So Moon convinced his flock that by joining the fishing industry, they were helping to end world hunger. And again, ding, ding, ding. I mean, that's not the sound a bugle makes, but cult bugle. It was especially a wind chime. Absolute cult wind chime because cults, contrary to popular belief, uh, depending on how much any given person is thinking about cults during their lives, they don't want the kind of like dregs of society. They want the best of the best. That's how you build a great business. That's how you build a great cult. Moon organized in order to appeal to all of these people to get them to join the fishing industry an annual 40-day fishing trip to get them excited about the plan. I love this. This guy is like, we're going to have a plan. We're going to have a 40-day fishing excursion. The other great thing about that is you've got them off at sea for 40 days where you can do some brainwashing. I mean, yes, absolutely. But a 40-day work excursion, I think, would push anyone over the edge. A long weekend doing laser tag is enough for most people. But also... It's quite biblical, 40 days and 40 nights. That's true. I didn't think of that. And this fishing (laughs) trip, whether Hannah sounds excited about it or not, seemed to work. Because Moon's followers brought up entire fishing towns in key seafood regions around the United States. In 1980, the locals of a coastal town in Massachusetts made a figure of Moon and hanged it in effigy because the church was buying up much of the waterfront property. But it has to be said, these business ventures have been incredibly lucrative. In 2005, True World Foods had $250 million in revenue. Even some sushi restaurant owners who are aware of the company's origins and might not agree with Moon's views and religious beliefs still give him business because of the high-quality fish. Proof, again, content is king, product is king, fish is king. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. Before Moon died in 2012, he did push back against the claims that he or the Unification Church owned a stake in the True World Group. But the businesses are controlled by a non-profit group called... Unification Church International Incorporated, or UCI. So, I mean, it doesn't take a genius, but also maybe it's the perfect double bluff. Money had indeed historically moved frequently between the church and UCI. And way back in 1978, a congressional investigation into Moon's business stated bluntly, quote, It was unclear whether the UCI had any independent functions other than serving as a financial clearinghouse for various Moon organizations' subsidiaries and projects. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fancy language for... He definitely fucking wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And then in 2006, the Chicago Tribune reported that some of the UCI's revenue also came from the US government, if you can believe it, gasps around the world. Federal documents show that UCI-owned boat manufacturers performed repairs on U.S. Coast Guard and Navy ships. In addition to the global multi-million dollar True World Group, Moon's Unification Church International, Inc. is also affiliated with the South Korean company, the Tongil Group, 
which Moon also founded. It's a multi-billion dollar organization that deals in publishing, construction, weapons, and resorts. You know, just to keep it fun and deadly. Water slides and weapons of mass destruction, no problem. Chuck it all in. And uh, it's even wider than this because that list is actually just to name a few of the businesses under that particularly confusing umbrella. And today, according to the company's website, True World Foods has 30 locations all around the world and they claim to be, quote, the top sushi suppliers. So yes, Sun, Myung Moon and his followers helped bring sushi to the West several decades ago and the company still appears to be dominating the industry. So there you have it. That's how mass weddings uh, equal fish. Is our our key takeaway from this particular episode? Maybe I have got this wrong, but I believe that sex might be bad unless it's from the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, That's the only time. Personal sexual health clinic. Then it's fine. We've also learned that cults don't want just any old person joining them. Yes, they want volume. Yes, they want numbers, but they also want quality. And the way to get quality is to have some sort of goal that's bigger than yourself so that people feel like they want to go join so that people who are talented want to go join and with them come more talented people that you can brainwash and uh, marry off to get green cards apparently and have sex with mm-hmm. and we've also learned that the tentacly arms of cult behavior stretch all the way down into your dragon roll so there you go guys that's what we have learned today <laughs> on the podcast hopefully you enjoyed it Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. We'll be back next week with another great episode. And remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get brand new episodes every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, be sure to follow Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if that still isn't enough, you can find us over on our red-handed socials at redhandedthepod. See you next time. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Brian Petrus and fact-checking by Cara McCurlin. And we're your hosts. Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>